0: you're listening to the Douglas Jacoby podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you're challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series, Current Issues, sharing today a lesson entitled Law, Allegiance, and Revolution. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. In this podcast, I'm going to share some thoughts about law. Law and order are essential for any society. If there's any hope of civility, progress, technology, civilization, there has to be law. We train lawyers in how to think about the law and how to use it to advance the agendas of their clients. But does the average citizen think clearly about the role of law? Do most Christians have a biblical view of law? In my experience, the answer to that question would have to be no. The purpose of this lesson is to get us thinking. The example of Paul, Acts 16, Acts 22, Acts 25, we see Paul standing on his rights. In Acts 16, when he demands to be escorted out of the city after wrongful uh, arrest and punishment, he did not always use his rights, but it's very clear. He stood on his right as a Roman citizen in Acts 16. Something greater was at stake, reputation of the gospel, reputation of Christ. Similarly in Acts 22 and Acts 25, he appeals to the law, yet he doesn't always do this. He's willing to waive his rights. This is nowhere better exemplified than in 1 Corinthians, because there are three whole chapters that deal with the Christians need to be willing to give up rights. The chapters are 1 Corinthians 8-1, really all the way to 11-1. Paul was willing to be a Jew to the Jew, a Greek to the Greek, strong to the strong, weak to the weak, all things to all men. But this did not mean that he always stood on his rights. And in our society, we're very fixated, aren't we, on getting what we deserve. And yet, in our hearts, we really hope, I think we understand that God doesn't do that to us. In Christ, with grace, we don't get what we deserve. And thank God that we don't. Well, if we're talking about rights, nowhere are rights more fiercely defended than in the law court. What about litigation? I'm going to read a familiar passage, and I'll be using the English Standard Version for any passages I read in this lesson. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you why not rather suffer wrong why not rather be defrauded but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers the way this is typically interpreted is that christians cannot take fellow christians to court there is however a very different view which i'll present and that view is that litigation on the part of a Christian is always wrong. Paul says, why not rather be wronged? Jesus said, don't resist the evil person. If he wants your tunic, give him, give him your cloak as well. If the soldier wants you to walk one mile, walk the extra mile. That's in Matthew 5. Why not rather be wronged? The way we normally read this is that, well, lawsuits are an unpleasant business, but as long as you don't sue a fellow brother or sister, then it's okay. Isn't there another possibility? That Christians don't do that kind of thing. We don't have lawsuits. And so how much less is it acceptable to have a lawsuit against a fellow believer? You see, there is a distinction. I I got a phone call a few years ago from a brother who explained to me his doleful tale, how he'd been defrauded, so he thought, by another brother. And he asked me, as the Bible teacher, are there scriptures that would allow me to take this brother to court? And I said, well, let's talk about this. The short answer is no, uh, but we can talk about it a bit more. And at that time, uh, my position was, certainly you cannot take a fellow Christian to court. I didn't know about other people. I didn't really have a a clear thought about that. And to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure where I stand today on this, but I know I'm not where I was five or ten years ago. Because a much more natural reading of the Sermon on the Mount a more natural reading of 1 Corinthians 6 is that we should be willing to cede our rights why not rather be wronged and that's not just saying we should be nice to Christians this pertains to our disposition towards all people so there you have it, two positions lawsuits are wrong, period and all the more so, what a travesty when they're brought against fellow believers. And then there's the soft view, which lawsuits are fine, but just don't do it towards a Christian. But then you have people second-guessing, well, if he doesn't agree with me, maybe he's not really a Christian, not a true Christian, so it is okay to sue him. I hope you'll think about that. But there are more serious things to discuss. I wanna share some thoughts on the revolution. Which revolution? Well, I'm going to talk about the American Revolutionary War. And if you're from another country, and and there there are scores of people in other countries who are listening to this podcast, and we know that the U.S. is not your country, but most countries have had revolutions at some point. In the United States, it was 1775, uh, technically, till 1783. The Americans fought against the tyranny of King George III. There were four King Georges, and this was the third. And he is the tyrant uh, referred to in the founding documents of the United States. Most churches glorify not only war, but certainly on the patriotic holidays, the Revolution. And 1776, the date of the uh, Declaration of Independence, is one of the very few dates that students still learn in history. What would you do if you lived in colonial America? Things are heating up in the 1760s and the 1770s and there are many cases of let's say being defrauded of your rights. You're being taxed without representation. You don't feel that you have liberty Many of your friends are talking about the possibility and in time the inevitability of war against the tyrant, against the oppressor, Britain. Which side would you find yourself on? And most American Christians fairly quickly, fairly unthinkingly say, well, of course, I would be patriotic. Why? Because the US is God's nation? It's a Christian nation? It's neither of those. Never was. Usually, people uh, point to Romans 13 as a justification for many things that would be otherwise unthinkable. Things that do not resonate with the Spirit of Christ. For example, killing somebody. We say, well, the Roman magistrate bears the sword. So there's your example. Well, there's an example of the godless oppressor bearing a sword. But look at Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now, this is what I mean about thinking clearly. If the authorities... In Paul's day, the Roman government, at the time of the writing of Romans, headed up by the infamous, notorious Emperor Nero, who killed his favorite wife, who killed many associates and even his own children, uh, a terrible and perverse specimen of a human being. Paul's saying that the authorities that exist are appointed by God somehow. Well, clearly appointed by God cannot mean that what they do is okay, or you should endorse it. Paul's warning them, if you uh, come into conflict with the law, you could lose your head. And besides, there's the point of conscience, therefore you should pay tax and you should submit. Okay, what does that have to do with the American Revolution? There's a lot to do with it. Because the authorities, in the time of colonial America, were the British. And to resist the authorities taking up arms against them in a Revolutionary War would be a direct violation of Romans 13. And not only that, it would be a violation of the verses before. The U.S. takes great pride in defending its rights uh, with sayings like, don't tread on me, give me liberty or give me death. I think even in Britain there's a motto on the side of some of the one-pound coins. No one will have touched me with impunity. Let's read the end of Romans 12. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. associate with the lowly never be conceited repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all if possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord to the contrary If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is simply an extension, a clarification of what Jesus said in Matthew 5 about loving enemies. Feed them. (laughs) to put it in military terms, give them quarter. Uh, Don't resist them. What is that? To defect them? To aid and abet the enemy? For a Christian, there is no enemy. Or, shall we say, we attempt to win our enemy over by demonstration of love and the Spirit of Christ. God's wrath will be shown, but we are not intentionally to be part of that for it is his to avenge, his to repay. If this intrigues you, I hope you'll listen to a podcast I recorded uh, just a few days ago on the American Civil War which deals with similar issues though about 90 years later. So, Wall Street's I've raised the question, are we allowed to have them in the first place? Not just are we allowed to have them against our brothers. The Revolutionary War, which side would we have been on? How do you, how do you move from supporting the government to resisting the government and staying in the will of God? Is it just because you're paying uh, too much tax? How is that determined? Is there civil disobedience in the scripture? Well, yes, there is. But only when man's law opposes God's law may we resist. In the Old Testament, uh, there there are several famous examples. Uh, Probably Daniel gives us the most colorful. Daniel's friends are commanded to bow down and worship a golden statue of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. That's in Daniel 3. I think that was the insecure king's attempt to make his dream not come true. The dream that Daniel interpreted in Daniel 2, where Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I'll be the whole statue of gold, and you'll worship me. And Daniel's friends refused to do that, and they're thrown into the fire. And what do they say as they were going in? God is able to rescue us. But even if he doesn't save us, we will not do what you say will not worship the statue of gold. They refused to compromise. In this case, they disobeyed the law. But notice, it was because they were being asked to commit idolatry. What if you were asked to do something that broke one of the commandments? What if the government commanded you to commit adultery? Would you do that? I hope you never would. What if the government commanded you to, to kill? often that's justified in wartime. What if the government said, kill your father? Would you do that? Is it a matter of allegiance to family versus allegiance to the government? Are we ever allowed to do that? Civil disobedience is not only an option, it's demanded when man's law comes into conflict with God's law. I would say not, however, when man's law comes into conflict with our preferences. Another example in Daniel 6 is uh, when Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. Again, uh, he's been told, don't, uh, don't worship except to the king, and this is the king of Persia, but he continues to do it. He prays Jerusalem, the windows open, he's thrown into the lion's den, and there you go. Examples of civil disobedience. Or we think of Peter and John refusing to submit to the religious authorities who command them to be quiet, to stop preaching, and they say, judge whether, in, you know, whether it's right to obey you or God. Uh, we're going to obey God. We're going to keep speaking. So, it's not that civil obedience is never justified, but it's not justified when we simply are not getting our way, but only when God's explicit word is contradicted by uh, man's law. What about Christian government? We're talking a lot about the governments that presumably are are non-Christians. Well, did you know there is no such animal? In church history, the experiment was tried from the fourth century on till Reformation times and even beyond. The experiment was tried with catastrophic effect. You cannot legislate morality. These are two separate spheres. Faith and politics. Do not mix. We need to really watch out for that thinking, which is called dominion theology, which extends the mandate to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue uh, the planet in Genesis 1.28. Uh, uh, that equates that with a political uh, aim, with, that we're to have dominion over the whole world. Politically, Christians should be at the top and ruling those who advocate this kind of theology have aims that are not dissimilar to those of the radical Muslims who want to take over the world. Because our ultimate allegiance can never be to man's government. Many Christians are confused about the relationship between church and state. Of course, in the Old Testament, church and state were closely connected. In fact, they were essentially one the religious body and the civil body of Israel were the same. In the New Testament, there are so many differences under the New Covenant, so many differences. But church-state is one of the major differences by far. It's never assumed that the Christians will be running the world. And so, to put our hope in politics, something that's cautioned against repeatedly in the Bible, to put our hope in treaties and military alliances, pacts, uh, agreements between heads of state is misguided. Our ultimate allegiance can never be to a country. In 1892 the Pledge of Allegiance was written and soon was said by men, women, children all over the nation. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Well, it's a kind of oath. It's a promise of ultimate loyalty to the U.S. government. In the 1950s, at a time where when uh, uh, the fear of communism in World War III uh, was looming large. The godless communist versus the Christian nation of the United States. Uh, there was an addition made to the pledge. Uh, just two words. The words under God were added in 1954. Well, I was born in fifty nine. But when I went to school, this is in the sixties, we had to say the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. Uh, we put our hand over our heart we looked at the flag and here's what we said I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all notice the assumption that's made here that we pledge allegiance to the flag Which represents what? One nation under God. The will of God, the will of the U.S., they're the same. It's a Christian nation. That's the implication. It doesn't say that explicitly. I simply want to point out the difficulty of a Bible believer promising ultimate allegiance to his country when he's already said, Jesus is the Lord. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. How can we pledge allegiance to one when we pledge allegiance to another? How can I promise never to leave or forsake a woman to honor and cherish her when I've already made that promise to another woman? I'm already married. You can't be a bigamist. Jesus put it this way: you cannot serve two masters. Our ultimate allegiance must be to God. No follower of Christ can pledge ultimate allegiance to a flag or to the state that it represents. Check out what the scriptures say and see if you don't agree. Ultimately, it is the example of Christ we are to follow. And in Philippians 2, the hymn of Christ, as it's called, the beautiful Carmen Christi, as theologians call it, We have Jesus emptying Himself. You know, though He was in the very form of God, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Amazing. He emptied Himself. And He was a servant. In conclusion, law and government are expressions of God's sovereign authority. Insofar as the authorities do not ask us to violate biblical principles, we are to obey the law. Our individualistic society is heavily focused on rights, privileges, and entitlements, yet a Christian is willing to waive his or her rights for the greater good. Some of us probably need to rethink the relationship between church and government. In all things, our example must be that of Jesus Christ. Whom do we resemble more, an individual bent on his rights, or the one who ceded his rights in order that the poor might be made rich? Enemies might be loved and convicted of their lack of love and holiness, and the bleeding, breaking heart of God might be revealed. Whom do we resemble more? Those are some thoughts about the law. We hope you enjoyed Douglas' teaching on current issues. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos free to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.